Okay, what's the story, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. We have the host of House of Rugby podcast, Ireland, and all-star heartthrob, Andrew Trimble. Andrew, how are you doing? Heartthrob. Nice one, fellas. Yeah. No, well, you know, you're looking fresh to me, you know? Uh, looking a bit fresh. My wife cut my hair the other day, so... Um, uh, Gee, she did a good job. She did it all right. I had to tidy up there a little bit, but um, yeah, all good. Anyway, a hard throb um, uh, is, a, is a stretch, but that's very, very kind of you fellas. Thanks, thanks for the welcome. Tom, Tommy Bow didn't mind that when we were saying he was good looking. <laughs> he didn't mind it. No, I'm sure. I'm sure he's probably more familiar with that sort of an intro, but uh, I listened to the, pod, uh, the, the Tommy podcast. Um, it was great. You're doing great stuff, fellas. Thanks, well, if we got one Ulster winger, we need to get the other one, you know? <laughs> yeah, you have to balance things up. Put oh, me on the right, put him on the left. Yeah. There was a great uh, story, Tommy, well, was telling us about you, Andrew, that uh, he has 69 casts for Ireland and you have 70. He was being very humble there because he's got 69, 69 Ireland caps, but he's also got five, maybe four or five uh, Lions caps on top of that. So he's got, uh, he's got like 70. The, the truth out of me. <laughs> he, he, he was teared up for you to give him the compliment, was he? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, Tommy, obviously. Tommy and, I, Tommy and I go way back. So we, yeah. and, I, and I, know he might, I know he said this, we were very good for each other. Uh, we were bad for each other at times. Uh, in that we we fell, we had some serious fall <laughs> falling out uh, on the pitch, on the training paddock, um, uh, everywhere really. Um, but we got the best out of each other, and we were good mates throughout the whole lot. So um, he was he was certainly he was brilliant for me, and he moved away to Ospreys for a while, and then that competitiveness never really never really died down because even when we were playing Ospreys, you know, it was even more competitive than ever. So. Um, uh, great lad, great competitor, unbelievable player, and um, I was very lucky to have uh, that influence whenever I was playing. Yeah, just a quick question, Andrew, as well. Um, that's why, like, for, I never even thought about this, but that's why in the Premier League people see who's the top goal scorer, and then obviously when you see in the Pro 12 or Pro 14 now, uh, the top choice scorers, would you always try and be, would you always see who's on top and try and catch them? Uh, not really. <clears throat> I might, to be fair, um, I, I didn't really score that many tries. Um, like for for Ireland, <clears throat> I think something like seven, sixteen, seventeen tries and seventy caps isn't a massive, isn't a great return. Um, scored a lot of tries in the European Cup, um, and then obviously the likes of um, Tommy, Tommy's leading the way. Maybe Craig Gilroy, um, Tim Visser, um, a lot of those guys are kind of leading the way in the. Um, in the Pro 14, um, but no, I didn't really score that. I didn't really score that many tries. Um, you could, you could, you could, you could come to a couple of conclusions there. Um, maybe I didn't read the game very well, or blame the centres. Yeah, blame the centres. Yeah, blame O'Driscoll. He was rubbish, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't give you the ball though. He was always trying to score his tries. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, blame he was jealous that your highlights were better. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> highlights, highlights, and gloves. That was a, um, a shameful, shameful period of Irish rugby led by Drisco. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I heard you, he put them out on your tra in your training bag, and he was like, "You have to wear them, Andy." Or that's it. 
Yeah, the the gloves was a weird, uh, weird period. I'm trying to think of like famous um, like glove wearers. Um, Brock James, the Australian guy who played at uh, Claremont. Yeah. Uh, Andy Good was a glove wearer. Yeah. Uh, and O'Driscoll, I think the three of them, the three boys just um, going at it whenever the, the novelty died off for everyone else and they were still wearing their gloves. Yeah, you never really see He was a strange one, Andy Good, wasn't he? Uh, just like strange physique for someone who played uh, fly half, wasn't he? He was like a barrel. He was, yeah. And I think as his career went on, he kind of got he got bigger and bigger. But <laughs> I, think, I think it kind of shows how how talented he is, and um, you know his his distribution, his passing, and his kicking were both incredible. And he he like he was a he he did it. He did the rounds of a few different clubs, and he made a big mark everywhere he went, and played a little bit for England as well. So. He knows the game very well. He's an old school. He's one of the last kind of old school um, uh, rugby players. He's probably not maybe as athletic as a, as a, as a Johnny Sexton, as a far, but um, he was a guy who just relaxed on his distribution and his kicking. Um, serious rugby player. Serious. Left a big impact everywhere he went. Yeah, yeah big boot on him. And he even pushed Johnny Wilkinson at times, which is, you know, a lot to say at the time. Yeah, massive. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what way it was now exactly. I can't. I can't recall that kind of period of English rugby. Um, but yeah, he was. Um, he was certainly in the mix a few times. Uh, and it was his boot. Yeah, it was a big. I, I kind of at Welford Road, especially for Leicester. Uh, if you've got a big boot there, that's a short pitch, and he um, he turned a lot of wingers and found a lot of grass in behind guys and tortured a lot of back three. So um, yeah, some uh, some player. Yeah, speaking of clubs, uh, Andy, you you play for Ulster. And only Ulster from 2005 to 2018. Uh, what's it like just being a, a like a one man, like one, a one, what's it? What's the phrase? One man club. Yeah, one club man. One, one, one club, club man. man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 to be fair, I only got maybe one or two opportunities to to, to go elsewhere, and I did look at a couple of things. But for me, it was always. Well, I, I grew up. Um, playing schools rugby in Ulster. Um, my dad was a rugby player, and my dad kind of always encouraged me, and he brought me along to Ulster games, to Ireland games. And for me, I was such a big fan growing up, and I was such a big Ulster fan specifically. Um, I, I always kept options open just to see what was out there, and I always liked the idea of, of maybe playing in France at some stage. But for me, the idea of the thought of potentially Ulster potentially winning something whenever I wasn't there, just the the threat of that just tormented me and. Um, it wasn't really worth the gamble, um, uh, but and as well as that, I, I kind of I felt really comfortable. My wife's from here. We, we're very settled, and my wife's a doctor, and she uh, she's obviously you know her career is very important to her as well. And yeah, um, yeah it, it would have had to have been something special to to have moved away. Um, and and then obviously the way things are with um, that's that's with Ulster, but the way things are with Ireland. Um, if you can be as talented as Zebo and still not be considered for selection, then then it's really not going to happen. The only person who ever got away with it playing elsewhere and then still being picked for Ireland was Johnny Saxon, and Johnny Saxon's uh, one of a kind. So that Ireland would have been gone altogether. And for me, I got a lot of joy towards the end of my career with, uh, with Ireland, uh, and I'm so glad I stick I stuck around um, because it was worth the wait. Zero regrets. No zero regrets. I do. I don't, I don't regret, but I, I wish maybe I, I could have um, played somewhere else. Whenever I finished up um, uh, summer 2018, so nearly two years ago now, that's mm-hmm. I mean nearly two seasons gone, I was looking at going to a second division team in France at the time. 
and uh, I, for me it was more about just a lifestyle played a little bit of rugby with a little bit a little bit less pressure than I would have been used to and just get back to just enjoying rugby in its purest sense with yeah. no um, no strings attached no no journalists um, not a high profile you know second division in France and you know nobody gave me a hard time after the game and things didn't go well just come back and it was me and the family and we just enjoyed the lifestyle that was that was my plan and then what whatever way it worked out my back was giving me a bit of bother a few injuries and I was getting slower and slower and I kind of thought it wasn't really worth it and there was an opportunity here uh, business-wise that came up that I wanted to get into as well so uh, I don't have any regrets but it would have been a nice thing to have done um, for a year or two for yes for me for rugby rugby wise but more for for the family kind of just just chilling out and just enjoying a couple of years before getting, getting into the real world and Andrew, was there any other talk of you going to any of the other provinces, uh, whether it be Leinster, Munster, Connacht? Uh, I know, you know, Andrew Conway went to school in Black Rock and he's down in Munster. Was there any talks at any stage in your career? or No, not realistically. Or not, not at all, actually. Um, no, I never, um, I, and there was never an approach or I never had any conversations about moving provinces. Again, I was, I was reading Rory Best um, uh, autobiography there. Uh, last few days since it came out and uh, I didn't I didn't realize that Leinster made an approach to him as Michael Cheka uh, whenever he was moving on so he would have been going in he would have been going to Leinster the time whenever Schmidt arrived and then, and then that was the start of that kind of golden era which is still going on today I suppose really um, with a little bit of a dip for a couple of years but um, yeah can you imagine the amount of you know he would have been sitting Roy would have, would have been sitting with you know highly decorated Irish mm. international, but also you know lots of domestic stuff, lots of European cups. Yeah. Um, uh, and he so, would have been beside Keane Healy and Ty Furlong as well, which would have been yeah, amazing. Formidable, formidable front row, ridiculous front row. Yeah, um, yeah but but anyway, these, these things happen, you know. And, and Rory mightn't have become the person he became or the leader he became Very true. Uh, had he not had a little bit more adversity. Um, you know, a few difficult times at Ulster uh, where he had to dig deep and show a little bit more leadership, and maybe that developed the character that. You know, we all know who Rory is and the impact he's had on anybody around him. Maybe that's because of, um, you know, if, if he had it all laid on, if it was just win, 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 nonstop for Leinster, then he mightn't have um, had to dig deep and develop that character. But, um, yeah, I, I find that interesting. I always find it interesting to see what's going on behind the scenes with guys and clubs chatting to guys. Uh, and there'll be a few surprises out there. Um, certainly, that was one, that was one, and I know Rory wouldn't wouldn't regret that for a minute because he he's he's an Ulster man through and through, um, and and we're obviously very proud of him as well. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, just on Rory Best, there obviously you played under some fantastic captains, both for Ulster and Ireland. Where would he rate the best captains you've ever played under? Oh, he's right up there. Um, I think what he's accomplished in the last few years, uh, and and how he's managed to squeeze performances. Um, you know he's he's thirty is he thirty seven now yeah uh, and right up until the end he was still going strong uh, and and he was throughout his career he he's had to build on uh, other other aspects of his game that um, that he felt like you know as you get a little bit older then you lose a little bit of that uh, dynamic kind of uh, leg drive or um, uh, the ability to carry a ball or offload that wasn't a big that wasn't a big strength of his. So he had to develop other strengths and leaderships and what he communicates to the team. And um, he led by example more often than not. But also he was happy to to put his hand up and call people out and demand standards. So that's I mean it's the same way you would describe um, O'Driscoll, O'Connell, Johnny Sexton, all the all the big names, all the big leaders that we know. 
Um, but there's just slight subtleties and, and differences in the way they go about it. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to describe until you actually just see these guys in action. But um, those, those guys have one thing in common. And whenever they speak, people listen and they, they, they follow them onto the pitch and they, they follow them in, um, in whatever they're directing them to do. So they get the best out of their teammates. And Rory was certainly um, one that did that. Yeah, so respect is earned, not given as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rory, I think whenever you know, maybe you think about like, you know, a famous story about Rory is whenever, um, I think it was the All Blacks uh, in <clears throat> the All Blacks in Dublin. Um, I think it was Rory broke his, broke his arm, broke his arm and then he, he went to clear out a rock um, straight after and it was just autopilot. He just knew what he had to do for the team and that was clearing out a rock with a broken arm and then he, and then he kind of, he went off with his arm in a sling. So, if if you know that someone's prepared to do that for you, um, then you're prepared to give a lot more. And certainly, he uh, we knew what he was prepared to do, so we we give a lot more back as well. He really, really was a fantastic captain. Uh, I almost think he, as time goes on, he'll almost be underrated in terms of captain. Almost just because he followed O'Connell and O'Driscoll, there may be sort of slightly sexier captains in a way in terms of their name. I think Rory's thing almost is that because he was such a leader by example. You know, when you're sitting at home on the couch, you don't see all the hard work in the background that he puts in, and uh, he doesn't seem as verbal as the others would have. But look, that man led Ireland to Grand Slam, Six Nations titles. You know what I mean? And for me, like he'll always be one of the best hookers the country's ever seen. He's probably up there with Keith Wood, really, really. And like some people might think that's a bit controversial to say, but like Rory Best got the job done. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's controversial at all. I think obviously Keith Wood. Um, was was a massive part of Irish rugby and a big turning point in Irish rugby as well, um, uh, where like professional professionalism had just come in and and he kind of managed to 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 make Irish rugby professionalism, where he certainly played his part. Um, uh, so no one's no one's discounting what Keith Wood has done. He's I'm sure Rory would say this. He's a, an iconic Irish hooker and Irish leader and Irish captain. Uh, but <coughs> equally. You can look at what Rory's done, and um, you know he's he's the the first and the second Irish captain to ever beat the All Blacks, um, first Irish captain to ever beat South Africa in South Africa, first Irish captain to ever um, beat the big three South Africa, Australia, New Zealand in one calendar year, um, Grand Slam 2018 um, captain, and then being part of the Grand Slam 2009. It goes on and on. Like he's accomplished so much, um, and as you say, he's accomplished it with. A slightly lower profile than maybe O'Driscoll and, and O'Connell, so there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and he hung in there and, and and managed to manipulate his game and contribute what he can from a personal perspective as well as what he was doing from the team. But yeah, he'll um, I think he'll be remembered very very fondly in Irish rugby. Yeah, and now that he's left both rugby and so of yourself, um, maybe he's left a bit of a void there in terms of leadership. Uh, Ulster seems to be doing very well this season. They're, I think, they're second in their sort of standings and the Pro 14. How do you see, see Ulster rugby kicking on now uh, after Rory's left? I think Ian Madigan's coming over next year. Do you think that will fill a good void that Paddy Jackson left? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, that you know, a ten Billy Burns has gone really well for for Ulster, and mm. with that kind of nine ten partnership, uh, it's been handy for Billy that um, someone like John Cooney stepped up and he's provide a lot of direction there and a lot of a lot of the play kind of goes through Cooney so 
that that little um, pairing has worked well. Uh, more generally, Dan McFarland's had a big impact. Um, uh, Dwayne Peel, Dan Sober, um, all these guys, I think, have added a lot in terms of uh, what's going on at Ulster Rugby. You can see a, a massive turnaround. I was concerned that last year, almost because things have been so poor for a couple of years, I was I thought that maybe McFarland's first year, it's the one year that you get a little bit of a gimme and you don't have to achieve too much almost. Um, but they played so well all season. They got to the quarterfinal. They really were the best team on the pitch whenever they got beat by Leinster at the Aviva. Produced a massive, big, big performance. But again, fell short. But getting to that stage and competing with the best team in Europe was a big step up. So I think as a result, then I don't think Dan McFarland or the rest of the Ulster coaching staff or the team for that matter would, I don't think they would get the same grace period if they're a victim of their own success. They've got to that level. So now everybody expects, supporters and everything expect them to continually get to that level. So it's a shame that, uh, of, you know, what's happened this season because going to going to Toulouse would have been a great challenge for that Ulster side. Uh, and the way they were going, a little bit of a dip there. They got beat by Ospreys, you know, a couple of months ago away from, away from home which was a bit of a shame, stole their momentum a little bit. But in Europe, they've been incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And Europe, you know, I think the, the Pro 14 is great and all. And, and it's, you know, <clears throat> there's just not the same pressure that there is in the Premiership. From Ulster's point of view, it's all about Europe. And they're getting yeah. the quarterfinal and they're getting the chance to, to, to impress. So, um, yeah, it's a real shame. But I think Ulster are kicking on nicely and, and showing like they're, they're, they're starting to be able to compete with the big boys in Europe. But competing with them is grand. We've done that for years. We've always just, every now and again, we've beaten Leinster at the RDS. We beat um, uh, Munster in, in Thomond. But we've never done it regularly. And we've rarely done it. We've done it once in a knockout stage or, or a big game. And that was in uh, 2012, the quarterfinal away at Thomond. So we've never, Ulster have never done it consistently. They've never been taken seriously. Uh, and to, to be taken seriously, you either have to do it on a big stage knockout or you have to do it consistently uh, and also have never do, done that so over the next couple of years we'll get to find out if we've really turned the corner yeah. <coughs> uh, Andrew who do you think has been Ulster's most standout player as well this year uh, <clears throat> uh, John Cooney's been incredible uh, he just looks like he's thriving he looks like he's tails up playing with so much confidence and he just looks like he's enjoying Belfast <clears throat> Uh Marcel could see it. You can say what you want about decision makers and the subtlety and deception and, and keeping your width and playing with pace and you know all, all that all that creative stuff is great. Let's get creative. <clears throat> Let's get teams defensively chasing their tails. Let's be really clever and outsmart teams. Fine, but let's win a game line. And you know how you win a game line? Marcel could see it. He just he's just incredible and you cannot win a rugby match without someone who wins game lines. Marcel could see it and uh, Stuart McCluskey are the two guys who do it for Ulster. So for me, Cooney for his creativeness, uh, creativity, and the two the two big fellas, McCluskey and Kutsia. <coughs> I, I, actually, I actually think uh, McCluskey was unlucky not to get uh, into the Six Nations uh, starting 15 at 12. And then uh, I feel like if it wasn't for it, sort of, it's almost like you can't have sex with Neil Murray. John Cooney was the uh, informed knowing going into the Six Nations and I thought like maybe he was going to actually get that start as well. I thought they were both unlucky not to get picked. Yeah, I think they were. I think I think they were both very unlucky. I think they just need to get lucky. They just need to get mm. um, get a break. 
and perform well. Neither of them, I think Cooney came off the bench. I don't know what game it was, but we saw him for about 10 minutes. And we saw like the Six Nations, the test match version of the mm. European form that he's been doing all, all year. Now, it's like a different game playing. Maybe not so much European, but playing Pro 14 is like a different game from playing international. But European even is still closer to that than it is international. It's a different style of game, more physical, less time, more of an arm wrestle, proper test match stuff. And whenever that, it comes to that, it becomes a lot of the strengths of Murray. Uh, his kicking game, his ability to manage the game. Uh, and, and I thought we saw just little glimpses of, of Cooney doing that really well. And if he can do that, and if he can get 60 minutes, or if he gets a start uh, where Murray's unfit, or whatever whatever happens, if he gets a break and he can prove that he can do that, which I, I'm pretty confident he can, mm. yeah. then I think that's it. Then uh, Andy Farrell will go right. Now I trust you. Now it's time to now it's time to to put a bit of faith in you. Um, same for McCluskey. For me, <clears throat> he's branched out and he's added so much to his game. He's just so unlucky that there are about five world class centres in Ireland. Um, Gary Ringlose is the first name down. Um, yeah, Chris Farrell's incredible, and and he's got a lovely balance. A little bit like kind of what I was going to say about McCluskey, just adding to his game. He's got lovely subtlety of hand, lovely skills but serious leg drive as well in contact. <clears throat> Bundy Aki, really good defensively, but really good with, uh, with, with ball in hand as well. Links very well. Yeah. Robbie Henshaw, you know, it's it just, the, the list is endless. And uh, I think it's just so unlucky for, for Stu that um, any other, I think any other country, Stu would be getting loads of game time, but it just so happens that back row and centre are where Ireland are really, really strong. And, uh, and he's been a victim of that. Now, <coughs> uh, just before we actually probably get into the Irish team, uh, if we could round up the your also rugby experience, what would be like your biggest highlight for playing for also rugby? Um, for, for Ulster, I kind of touched on it there, but uh, twenty twelve we got to the European Cup final, and that was a season where everything clicked. Unfortunately, we met a Leinster side that were absolutely humming; they were in their prime. It was proper Joe Schmidt territory where. If they get the ball, they go through phase after phase after phase, and you never get the ball back. And there's something, there's something in you. Whenever they got the ball, you just know this is we are never. They're going to score three points, or five points, or seven points, and there's nothing we can do about it. And there's something devastating about that. So that that mindset broke us a little bit. And Leinster were just so so good. It's probably the best Leinster side I've ever seen, apart from maybe the last last season. They've been doing something similar under Stuart Lancaster, but. For me, that that season was one of those ones where everything everything ticked for us, and we just um, we were just winning winning big games, winning European games. Uh, we managed to qualify away from home, uh, Thoman Park in the quarterfinal, and we beat Munster. And uh, it was just one of those one of those memories. I look back and think we 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 rarely rarely if ever else did it, mm-hmm. uh, and that was one of the ones where I kind of cherish. We we went into the Lions Den and. And beat them. Like when when do you ever see? Probably back in the day. Not too much nowadays. It's not as much of a fortress. But for a period of time, no one went to Thomond in Europe and got a win, and we did it. Um, <clears throat> so that was a big highlight. And we beat um, Edinburgh in the semi final. Don't know how Edinburgh managed to get to the semi final, but <laughs> for us. And then we just got we got got our pants pulled down by a far far better side in in the final in Leinster. But that season for me was 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 a big memory, a big um, big highlight. Yeah, in fairness, Munster are a bit like your beloved Liverpool and Anfield, you know what I mean? They're a tough team to beat at home. But uh, tell us this, Andrew. What is uh, 
who is the best player you've played against in an Ulster jersey, and who's the best player you played against in an Ireland jersey? Um, uh, for Ireland, um, best player I ever played against was uh, Mills Milaina, um, for New Zealand. Uh, he made his way yeah, to yeah, he made his way to Galway and signed for Connacht for a couple of years. I'm not sure I ever played against him, but he was kind of past his best at that stage. But something unbelievably, something very, very special about him. Um, best player I ever played against with Ulster. <clears throat> um, um, probably um, it could be oh, any no. of the stars. Any. <laughs> 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 it could, could well have been Tommy Bo, actually. Uh, it could have been the, the best team that we ever played against was, was, was Leinster that day. And Johnny was pulling the strings, so Johnny would be up there. And then uh, Saracens, the, the the best side that we we just we never beat them in any knockout stage. We played them four, maybe four or five times, and always got beat. Uh, and for them, it was always Vunapola, Owen Farrell. So Vunapola, Owen Farrell, Otoji, Johnny Saxon. Those they're, they're the best players I've ever played. Maybe Saracens, my age, Bill, you'd be just as good as them as well. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'd say they're they're probably the only ones that are actually happy enough with um, the season being cancelled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Then, things uh, weren't going well for them. They were hitting their lives anyway, so they were just going, "Please, please be um, <clears throat> a, a global pandemic, and then we can get on with our lives in the championship next year." Yeah, then Andrew, you made your your debut for Ireland in 2005. That's correct, is it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Who's that against, and uh, where was that exactly? That was against uh, Australia at the old Lansdowne Road. Um, uh, no messing. In with the big boys straight away. In with, in with the big boys, yeah. And I was a youngster. I'd just turned 21. And I was playing 13, um, strangely. <clears throat> played 13 for about a year. Um, They're like, put that guy in. He looks like, a bit like Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. So that, this was the, the autumn after the summer where... Um, that where where Brian got dumped on his head on his shoulder with the lions mm. um uh by by Umanga and and Milami uh, Milami yeah. whatever it is yeah. <laughs> and uh so he was out so um so I got my opportunity to play 13 uh <clears throat> and I obviously knew I knew how big a star um, Brian Driscoll was so I was feeling the pressure as it was um and in the run up to the game uh, when I was selected at 13 you know I obviously felt like I had big shoes to fill but in the run-up to the game, there was a fire in the in the terrace on one end at the old Lansdowne Road. So um, the structures were in, insecure, so they, they didn't allow any spectators in. So instead of filling that with spectators, they um, put a massive banner of O'Driscoll on the on the terrace on one end. So I was already feeling the heat because I had to play 13 and replace O'Driscoll. So even more so, it's just a big reminder. This is this is who should really be playing thirteen. So, <laughs> good, so good luck. And then, as you say, the big boys was playing against uh, Lottie Tikiri, and this is back in monster of a winner. Yeah. Well, he yeah he was playing he was playing thirteen at the time. Oh, was he playing? Oh, you were playing. He was your opposite number on the day. Yeah, yeah. I only realised that actually. I, could, I remember I was playing against him. Couldn't remember if he was thirteen or or in the wing. My dad sent me. We did this um, promotion for Pro Fourteen for Premier Sport. Mm-hmm. And it was show us your show us your shirts. And Dad sent me um, a picture of um, the display in my mum and dad's hall at home. And it's my pick, my my jersey and Lottie Takiri's jersey. Um, and uh, Chris Latham was playing that day. Um, uh, Stephen Larkin. Stephen Larkin. Yeah, I think I think he was playing. George Gregan. Still going to still nothing about. Maybe maybe um, Drew Mitchell. Um, I'd love to go back actually. 
and see exactly what that team was. But I remember um, Chris Latham specifically. Latham and Lottie Takiri came over to me after the game, and uh, and um, Takiri went, "Oh, first test, congratulations, delighted for you." So so sound of the both of them. They were mm-hmm. heroes of mine. I was, like, I, I was like, these guys are legends. Whenever I was, yeah. I was a youngster watching them play, they both came over. Uh, Latham was like, you know, congratulations, great um, first test. Happy days, well done. And Takiri then took off his jersey and gave me it. And I went to give him mine. He said, no, no, hold on to it. Don't be silly. So that I've got both of them displayed up in mum and dad's house at home. So really nice, nice introduction. <laughs> Straight on the deep end, like physically in terms of rugby. Uh, a tough introduction uh, into, into international rugby, but um, kind of off the pitch, a really nice way and an appreciation of how big a moment that was for me in my career and my life and my family and all. So... Um, lovely, lovely touch from them boys. Were your uh, oh, yeah. when when were you told that you were going to be in the starting the starting lineup? Um, it would have been would have been probably Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday would be selected. Yeah, did you did your whole, all your friends and family come up to watch? Or come yeah, down? everyone. Yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone come down. Um, uh, and it was a big, yeah, it was a big moment. Yeah, pretty... that must have been that must have been amazing. And who who were your partner with on the day in the center? Uh, Gordon Darcy. Oh, at least had an experienced man on the inside, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it would have been Stringer, O'Gara, Darcy, myself, Tommy in one wing. Um, Shaggy? Yeah, Shaggy or Dennis. Probably Shaggy, I think. And then Jordan Murphy at 15. Nice some team when you think back about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, Tommy Bow was only saying, uh, or or Tommy, as we refer to him as, uh, the Argo mate, uh, was only saying that Jordan Murphy's one of the best players he's ever played with. Mm, he's certainly be up there, right? Um, very, very talented. Um, and I, I, Tommy and I probably both got an appreciation of that when we were youngsters, just coming in there and just seeing how how skillful he is and some of the stuff he's doing, some of his like, little trick shots um you know very very creative and very far ahead of his time um uh yeah he was he was he was something else and it was nice to play with him and great lad as well great he was very very good at letting letting the young fellas feel welcome feel like we're a part of it and feel like we're a part of the team and and, and uh it was nice to have him there yeah you then actually went on to, to be part of two world cup squads as well in 2007 and 2011 uh which one was did you have a better experience in Oh, 2011 by a mile, by a mile. Okay. 2007 was famously um, just the, just the World Cup that never really got going. Uh, our whole prep was poor. Um, where we were staying was poor. The food was poor, um, and everybody just felt like they wanted to wanted to get home. Uh, our performances were poor. Um, Argentina were on fire. France were on fire, and then we just we just got hammered in both of those games. We very nearly got beat by Georgia. Um, uh, and then 2011 was just a different, different, di- a different world altogether. I went to New Zealand. We spent a few days uh, finding our feet and seeing the sights and, and doing lots of fun stuff down in Queenstown. Then every few days they kept us busy, kept us occupied, kept 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 us uh, stimulated and excited and enjoying enjoying the novelty of a World Cup, enjoying each other's company. And then that kind of all culminated in uh, whenever we beat. Uh, Argent, Argent, uh, beat Australia in Eden Park um, <clears throat> and then we got beat by Wales obviously in the quarterfinal but that World Cup was so much more positive and so much more fun to be at 
Um, I, I, I was on the bench the whole World Cup, really, which was a little bit disappointing for me because it felt like I was playing well. But it was just one of those things. Um, I was still enjoying being part of it and uh, I knew we were we were performing pretty well. It was, it was disappointing in the end that we got beat by Wales in that quarterfinal because that would have been a nice opportunity to kick on. I think uh, Wales got beat by France then in the semifinal. That was the, the game where... Uh, um, someone got someone got red carded in that game. I don't know if this uh, rings a bell, but anyway, that was that game. So would have been a nice nice way to go, but uh, it wasn't to be. But still, a great experience being at that World Cup 2011. Yeah. And um, sorry, Andrew, just just while we uh, have you, I, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the current squad we have. Um, as someone who was versatile, I know you knew that you were on the bench um, from during the World Cup. Do you think sometimes if you are versatile as a back and can play in a few different positions, there's a higher chance you might end up on the bench just because, you know what I mean, they're like, oh, we put uh, Trimble on the bench, he can play either centre or wing. Do you think that, you know, goes into the factor in selection? It can do. It can, it can definitely go against you. Um, it, it People talk, you know, it's a nice... He, he's, a, he's a useful um, number 23 or number 22 it used to be mm. back then. But, yeah... It's it's a shame that that's that's thought of. I think most most coaches mm. are sensible enough, and they think, well, <clears throat> he may be better at three or four positions, but he's better at all those than, than that guy or that guy. Um, mm. So yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of a shame that that's that that's considered considered the case. Um, but the other thing is, it's nice to bring someone off the bench to add a bit of impact. People talk about finishers nowadays, mm. and the 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 importance of guys on the bench. Mm. Uh, has gone through the roof now and um, you know someone to come on the last half hour you can do a lot more in that half hour than you can do in the first 50 um, sometimes because the game loosens up and uh, guys coming on with fresh legs can can add a little bit uh, especially if we've got a little bit of x-factor as well but I never really had much <laughs> much x-factor so I didn't have to think about that too much but um, yeah it's a shame it's a shame there's guys like that and they, they probably miss out on a bit of rugby from it and when you look at the current sort of wingers uh, that Ireland have, you obviously have Conway, you have um, Stockdale, you have Earls, uh, and maybe even Jacob Lowe coming into uh, the second half this year. I think he'll be eligible to play for Ireland. Who do you think starts for Ireland now, those four? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of competition now. Uh, Andrew Conway's flying this year, and uh, it's great to see someone like him because he showed a lot of promise early on with Leinster. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened. Why we spoke to him in the podcast a while back about this, but he he always he always was a fan of Monster Rugby. So he you know shot down the road when he got the chance, and really um, it, it became home for him. Became his home province very very quickly. He settled in very well. Conway's flying at the minute, mm. um, and he's worked really hard to get back into the picture, and he showed a lot of consistency. So I think he deserves to get credit for that. But then you look at guys like like. Jacob Stockdale, um, again, a little bit of a dip in form, but still, he's still a guy who scored try bags and bags of tries. Um, you know, the try he scored at Twickenham, the try he scored against the All Blacks, he's he's accomplished massive things, and he'll only get better as well as he gets more mature and uh, more experience. Um, as you say, James Lowe, that's going to be fascinating to see how he fits in. Yeah, um, <clears throat> he's he's a real crowd favorite, isn't he? He's yeah, a guy, big time. You always hear about, um, sometimes journalists would be kind of outspoken about um, foreigners coming over and then qualifying for Ireland. Um, he'll be an interesting one because sometimes, you know, um, 
journalists have given off about guys, but James Lowe is a guy that everyone loves. So it'll be a tough case to make uh, for anybody to you know be disappointed by him and be involved. First of all, because the character he is, everybody mm. just loves him, but also what he does on the pitch. He's got a serious X factor and he adds a lot. Uh, and sometimes you could be inclined to think that that a little bit of X factor is exactly what Ireland need because they've got a lot of structure and a lot of um, consistent performers doing their jobs, like just just doing really, really good jobs, but nothing remarkable. You add James Lowe into the mix there, uh, and he can he could do something special. So um, it's I think I used to find it in preseason, you'd look around you and you go, there's about five or six winners here. This is going to be tricky. The first selection is going to be a nightmare. But it always balances out. It's never as bad as you think. Someone will be injured. Someone will be out of form. Um, it, it's rarely, it's rarely you'll have to say to a winger like Jacob Stockdale or James Lowe or, or Andrew Conway, listen, today it's not going to happen. It might happen. I've got Earlsy as well. Earlsy, of course. Forgot. Yeah, did you mention Earlsy there? Did you? Yeah, yeah. They're the, they're the four. They're the four standout, standout wingers. Yeah. Earlsy's done it over and over again. I don't know. Mr. Consistent. Oh, he's incredible. And... Playing, playing with him and against him for, for so long, I've got an appreciation of what he does. Uh, he's so, so reliable. And reliable sounds almost like a slur, like a, like a boring, but he's not, he's not reliable mm. boring. He's reliable with X Factor as well. So, yeah. Never said um, don't yeah, there's, there's, there, yeah, exactly. They've got, they've got four class wingers there to pick from. And uh, I just want to touch on, Jake, uh, on James Lowe because like, he, I actually think he makes me laugh sometimes because, like, you know, the socks are down around the ankles. And uh, yeah. he, sometimes when he's running with the ball, like, he looks like he doesn't really care, if that makes sense. He, he looks, he makes it look so effortless. Like, I just think when he comes into the picture, you know what I mean? Like, you know, he's putting all the other wingers on notice because he's phenomenal in the Pro 14 and the European Cup. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he's he's incredible. I, I don't know what it is about him. He's he's got something about him that that people warm to. Um uh, there's something that whenever he gets uh, confrontational and aggressive with people on the pitch even off the ball and there's a you know a bit of shirt grabbing or what's whatever's going on, mm. he's still smiling. He's enjoying himself. He's enjoying being out there. And there's is it the Ronaldinho factor. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ronaldinho. You know Ronaldinho everyone just loved him. It was like that was that was just it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just it. They love, him. but to be fair, he's not just a character. He's not, um, you know, he's he's not oh. just a character who, who's good in press conferences. He's incredible on the pitch, and he's single handedly won <coughs> games for Leinster as well. So, so he's got he's got everything going for him. But you're right, he's a he's a crowd favorite. I remember um, seeing a tweet from uh, one of the guys from Second Captain saying <laughs> um, James Lowe should be on a retainer from the Pro 14 because whenever he plays, people want to watch. Uh, and it's and it's great to have characters like that in the game. <clears throat> no, I don't want to hear the Ronaldinho rugby on the next House of uh, Rugby podcast, right? <laughs> I'm, gonna steal, <laughs> I'm gonna steal that one. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, it. I love it. Um, like usually, you ask you ask people what was their their biggest highlight representing Ireland, but it must be winning the Grand Slam for Ireland for yourself. Oh well, <clears throat> I, I won a championship in 2014, but I didn't. I never won a Grand Slam. The Grand Slam 2009 and 2018. So. Um, yeah, it was the championship definitely, yeah. yeah, so the, the championship was definitely a massive highlight for me. Um, uh, I mentioned that my, my best years for Ireland were towards the end of my career, 2014, um, uh, going to Paris, beating France and winning the, the championship over there. It was incredible to be a part of that. And uh, that's almost a little bit why I, I feel I, I'm so pleased to see Andrew Conway going well because he's took a long time 
to get his foot in the door to get established and finally then he's got there and he looks confident he looked like every game that he's played the six nations until it was cancelled it just looked like he was getting better and better so that's how i kind of felt it took me a long time to get to get in there to feel established or to feel like i was a part of it and then the that was kind of uh, that all came to a head in, in Paris in 2014. Whenever I just felt, I just felt great. I just felt like I was really, really in the middle of everything that was going going well with the team, and it was just class to be involved in an occasion like that. Then we kicked on. That was a massive highlight. Going to South Africa 2000, um, uh, 2016 on tour and and winning down in um, uh, in Cape Town was incredible. Winning with 14 men was amazing, and then the autumn after that. Um, beating New Zealand in Chicago was a massive, um, massive occasion, and it was incredible. And uh, I always think you, you do remember the occasions, but you don't remember them necessarily because of the stat or the the mm. whatever it was the, the data or the win or whatever first win and however, however long. You, you remember the occasions because of the people that you shared them with, and the the team was filled with great lads at the time. And for me, it was just uh, good to have such good memories of, of people. Yeah, no, that, that's that's absolutely incredible, Andrew. Um, Andrew, thanks so much for all your time. Uh, you're a brilliant guest to have on. Uh, I know you don't like the word legend, but you are an Irish rugby legend, my friends. Uh, you really, really are. We love having you on. Uh, Barry, anything to add? No, I was just want to say, Andrew, thanks, man, for coming on. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying the, the, the podcast you're putting out as well. So for people tuning in, if they haven't checked out Andrew's Andrew's podcast, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's just great crack. Good man, Barry. Thanks for having me, Roscoe. Um, uh, you boys keep keep firing away, keep smashing through the podcast and keeping people entertained. It's a tough time out there and um, everybody's reliant on you fellas for a uh, little bit of uh, something interesting, something entertaining and, and keeping people's mind off um, the reality of what's going on outside. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah uh, we, we do try. Yeah, keep up the good work, fellas. Yeah. Andrew, thanks, thanks, for the, thanks for all the kind words. Make sure to like, subscribe, and as always, stay energized. Stay energized.